Welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. My name is Lou Perez, and I'm happy to report that right now you can order my book. That's right. I wrote a book. It's called That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore on the Death and Rebirth of Comedy. Follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez. That joke isn't funny anymore. If you want other options on how you can buy my book, please sign up for my newsletter at theluperez.com. You could also join my community at theluperez.locals.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could leave a five-star review, that would be amazing. Whether you're a long-time listener or first-time, five-star reviews are lovely. If you're looking for other ways you can support me, you can do so by supporting my sponsors. If you're into CBD products, please check out PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Use promo code Lou to get 25% off purchases over $75. And if you like cold brew, check out Black Organic Cold Brew at www.blvckbrew.com and use promo code Lou for free shipping. All right, let's go. I am uh, very excited to introduce my next guest. Uh, this is kind of a trip down memory lane. He and I went to NYU together. We took a comedy class together that I remember we had a we worked on a project together and all that. We were classmates at NYU. He uh, right now you can hear him on WABC on the other side of midnight. That's the name of the show. Please give it up in podcast land for Mr. Frank Morano. Frank. Hey, Lou. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you. And um, we were talking a little bit um, earlier about I, I was supposed to have you on earlier. Um, and then, you know, schedules just, you know, went a little crazy. I uh, I have two kids now. I think how many do you have? Uh, One, uh, a five month old. Five month old. Oh, my God. Well, uh, my uh, my son, uh, my youngest is, is he's turning uh, six months in, a, oh, in like a week. Well, they're oh, they're, they're practically related. then. Right. Right. Exactly. I don't know what the um, their sign is on the, you know, the Chinese uh, calendar uh, and all that. But uh, how are you liking, you know, fatherhood being a being a new dad? Oh, I love it. It's going really well. I mean, all the cliche stuff about how great it is that everyone always tells you, it's certainly, I've found that to be true. It's uh, very rewarding and seeing him grow and hold his head up and be able to do sort of a half a turn and smile more and laugh more and uh, be more expressive. It's uh, it's very rewarding. Obviously, it's uh, it can be very challenging too when you have unconventional hours, but uh, luckily I have a uh, a very patient wife who's uh, allowing me to postpone putting together his high chair, which would have been the activity I would have been doing now if I weren't recording this podcast. So well, I'll either do that right after this or tomorrow morning, either way. Oh, man. Fortunate to have a very patient wife. She's a, she's a saint. I, um, yeah, my, so my, my youngest is, is, uh, the youngest of two and, um, it's, uh, it's weird going through it again, you know, the development stages. Cause you kind of, you kind of forget what it was like sure. the first time you're going through it. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that you're going through it right now. And there really is something that happens with the baby when the baby is able to smile, because a lot mm. of people, they, they, a lot of people don't know, like there's a period where, where, where there's hardly like any, you know, facial expression outside of just crying. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that could be really tough, especially if you're a new parent, because you're like, I must be doing everything wrong because my baby isn't happy. 
Yeah, uh, it's uh, I, you said it. So I think we're now in in a entering a stage where he has much more full spectrum of uh, emotion and facial expression. So uh, we're fortunate for it. So whatever advice you have, parenting wise, feel free to let me know uh, <laughs> off air. Well, I've heard a lot of people, um, uh, you know, talk about it. And uh, I turned forty this year, and uh, so I have a two year old, and um, like I said, my youngest is going to be six months. And, uh, when I hear a lot of people like old, like older fathers give advice, you know, they're like, have babies younger, have yeah. babies younger. And we're, we're the same age. So, you know, we're both kind of going through it. And, you know, I'm like, you know what? I, I had, I had these kids 10 years ago, I think I just would have been just physically more, uh, adaptable to it. I think that's certainly that's probably true in my case as well. Although I, I feel pretty good physically, I, I can't imagine doing it ten years ago financially. It's not like I make right. a lot of money now, but at least I make a living wage. And by the time I get paid every other Friday, I feel like my entire paycheck is still out the door. So ten years ago, when I was ma- making you know a good deal less, I, I think from what I remember, I, I can't imagine being able to afford. Uh, the additional cost of things like baby formula and occasional sitter and things of that nature. Yeah, no, that, that's a really good point. Yeah. That you, you can s- sort of forget the, uh, the side of being a responsible adult and where you were 10 years ago. Mm. Uh, and also like 10 years ago, I think I, let's see, 10 years ago, I was 30. So I hadn't met my wife yet. I met my wife when she was, uh, when, when I was turned 31 or my, you know, soon to be wife, not soon to be, what was it? Four and a half years of dating and all that. And you know, when you're, you know, you're dating and you're, you're testing the waters. I mean, uh, I mean, your goal is not to knock up every, uh, woman that you're dating, you know, (laughs) that you want to find, you want to find the right one. Sometimes it takes time. If only I'd listened to you at the time. (laughs) Uh, there we go. So, um, uh, you and I, we went to, uh, uh, NYU together and, um, uh, do you, um, um, what brought you to NYU? Uh, you know, why, why did you choose NYU out of, you know, all the places, uh, you know, you could have gone? It's a great question. Uh, you know, honestly, it's a, a love of New York. Uh, I can't imagine living or working in any other city, really. And, uh, you know, there are other schools that I could have gone to if, if I didn't make NYU. And I probably would have. Uh, but uh, NYU, I think, had the the number one thing that I was looking for, which was being located within the five boroughs of New York City. Uh, but it also had sort of enough academic street cred that I felt it would count for some something after I graduated and um, the division of NYU that I went to, well, I went to Gallatin. Where did you go? I, I, I was Gallatin. I, you, I started so you were Gallatin too. I started arts and science and then I transferred uh, to Gallatin. Right. So I, I did, I, I did three years, um, I, but I did all three years at Gallatin and I was very attracted to the fact that they let you do a lot of internships uh, because I've always felt that you get a lot of real world experience learn a lot and develop a broad network of contacts through these uh, internships. So I was glad uh, that uh, Gallatin offered that and sort of let you, I've always had sort of a, uh, been all over the place in terms of my interest. So I sort of like, let you like that they let you played academic cafeteria, you know, one from this column, one from that column. And a lot of other schools don't do that. So those are all uh, some of the factors that, uh, that led me to NYU. Yeah, for those of you who might not be um, who might not know about Gallatin, it's a uh, the school of individualized study. 
so you basically create your own major or concentration. So there's a lot of freedom there. There's a lot of independence that's involved in that, which uh, looking back, I probably could have done better with some more structure uh, in what I was going to do. But ultimately, I mean, I, 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 was going to, uh, you know, learning uh, to do creative writing. And I ended up, uh, you know, making a career out of it at, at some point I ended up making a career out of, uh, out of creative writing. And I'm, uh, uh, I'm from Queens originally. I think you're uh, Staten Island, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Still here. Yeah. So they're, yeah, they're, they're for me, like uh, NYU was sort of the perfect place. It was, uh, you know, it was the city you know, a place that I would, you know, often, uh, you know, go to when I was in high school and try to get into bars. And there was just, uh, uh, at the time that we went, I mean, we were, uh, let's say I'm class of Oh four. Um, you know, around that time, there was still a, uh, I don't know, excitement. There was a, there was a level of, of, of mayhem you could get into or stay away from and, and street smarts, you know, that, that you had. So yeah, it, for me, it really was the school to go to. Yeah, no, I think um, all that and spades for for me too. Everything that you just said, and then some. Yeah, and you know, I look at I I check in every now and then on uh, on you know our alma mater, and uh, I'm wondering what the hell is going on over there. Uh, what what was the one of the last things that I that I saw they were doing? It was sort of like this. I guess like uh, I don't know. It was a school wide festival for in celebration of the uh, birth of Karl Marx like 200 years ago or so, <laughs> no. something like that. Yeah. I, I missed that. I didn't, I didn't see that, but it doesn't surprise me. There was a lot going of that going on 20 years ago too. So that doesn't right. really, that doesn't surprise me too much. Uh, I think uh, NYU's always had a pretty, uh, a pretty anti-establishment uh, left of center uh, orientation among the student body and the, and the faculty. So that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me terribly much. Yeah, but what's amazing though is that there's this still this love of 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 Marx and you know uh, you know uh, left uh, leftist uh, uh, you know politics in a school that's like what's it like seventy thousand dollars a year now that's that is amazing. that is amazing that is amazing. Well, I, I would venture to guess that most of the people attending NYU aren't paying for that $70,000 themselves. Someone else is paying, whether it's a scholarship, whether it's their parents, whether it's a a student loan of some sort. For the few that might be paying that freight themselves, which is uh, impossible, I think, for an 18 or 19-year-old, I would guess those are not the same folks that are celebrating the 200th birthday of Karl Marx. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I, I went down to... um, uh, uh, NYU not 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 too long ago and uh it's uh it, it's really wild how you know I'm separated by all these years you know by all these years and then going down there and it feels like sort of in in a way kind of going back in time uh you know like oh Washington Square Park I used to spend so much time there and then like going back to you um uh, uh, is your office around there? Is your studio? Uh, Not there? currently. Now we're in uh, we're in Midtown. We're in uh, okay. Mid- Midtown East, 49th and 3rd. Until about a year and a half ago, I was working downtown. So I would, uh, you know, I'd, I still pass NYU 
frequently as I'm going from uh, Midtown to downtown or Midtown down to Staten Island. But uh, I haven't, uh, I'm trying to think, I mean, it's been such a weird two years in terms of in-person events in Manhattan. I'm trying to think the last thing that I really went down there for and uh, walked around. I I don't recall. I think it was probably about two and a half, uh, two and a half years ago. So I haven't been spent a great deal of time there recently. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously you, you, you have your radio show, uh, you're, you know, covering all the stuff that's happening in, in New York and, and all that. Uh, I guess I, like most people are still trying to figure out what the hell these last two years were. Um, it turns out I actually, uh, a year ago, I, I got out of New York and I moved, you know, across the river to Jersey. Ah, um, I, I, um, yeah, I was, I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those guys. I spent, you know, almost 40 years in, uh, you know, born and raised in that, in that, uh, state in the city. And, uh, I just got to the point where I just, it, I, I lost so much. I, I felt like I, you know, almost lost a loved one with where the city went. Yeah. Well, I think, um, look, I think you're speaking for a lot of people. I think there are some signs that, uh, that New York is coming back. You're seeing more employers, gradually have their uh, their staff come into work at least three, four, five days a week. At my workplace, everybody is back uh, five days a week. And so everybody's in and expected to be in. It's the exception to work from home, a super exception. And uh, they like everybody to come in. So, uh, but I think there are a lot of other workplaces where there, where there's not the case. So, um, you know, I, I think that's, um, you know, that's something. I think the focus from policymakers and the media and the public on the on the crime issue, which is really directly tied to the tourism issue and a lot of other issues. Uh, I think that's a pr- hopefully going to lead to an improvement in some of what's happening in terms of uh, in terms of crime. Uh, Mayor Adams seems to be pretty pretty serious about cracking down on these uh, on the street at homeless and doing something about these homeless encampments. So hopefully as uh, some of those quality of life issues improve, then uh, you'll see the kind of New York that folks were accustomed to at one time or another uh, come back. But the thing is, New York has had so many different phases. If you go back to what New York was like 30 years ago, instead of 20 years ago, there were, you know, 2,200 murders a year. That That is mm. far more than we have now. So, uh, I mean, it depends on, there's all this New York nostalgia that people have, but depending on what era you're romanticizing, New York's still not as bad as it was in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, at least in terms of crime and the fear that seemed to grip New York in those days. Yeah. Yeah. No, no that, that's a good uh, a good way to put it. I made a, um, a video a few years ago. Um, it was about, um, a, you know, a, a guy complaining about gentrification and like him wanting to get back to that old New York and it turns out he moved to New York like three weeks ago. <laughs> so, so it's a lot of people who sort of long for those for those really awful days who didn't have to live through those awful days, you know. Of yeah, I, well, the thing about those bad old days was that oh, sure you were risking getting your car stereo robbed having a squeegee man run up to your car and give an unwanted uh you know uh, car cleaning and um risking being mugged as you're walking to work 
but at least it was affordable to live here. You, you didn't have to spend four or $5,000 a month for a, a studio apartment in Man- Manhattan. In some ways, it seems like the direction we're headed is almost San Francisco-like, where it still costs a fortune to live here, but you still have to worry about uh, tripping over homeless people on the way to work and getting mugged on your way out of work. So I, I hopefully we can get to a happy medium where at least the increase in crime comes along with a decrease in cost of living rather than uh, have that sort of inverted scenario like San Francisco does. Yeah, I forget who it, um, who said it, but um, uh, they, they recently like got out of, uh, of the city and they said, you know, while they were there, they were basically paying for their own uh, oppression. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like just paying just an insane amount in taxes, in, you know, cost of living. And, you know, you, you walk outside and you're like, like, oh, well, that the, the guy living... Uh, outside of the building where people are paying, you know, three $3,500 a month for, for a studio apartment seems to be doing all right. I mean, he's, you know, he's a, he's a neighbor without having to actually pay. That's true. And uh, one can only guess what he's paying in taxes on what he's collecting in, in donations and uh, redemption of plastic bottles. Yeah. Well, I, uh, so before, um, you know, before we moved, we were, we were living in Brooklyn Heights and, uh, my wife and I were just absolutely in, in love with with the neighborhood. I actually think that's probably one of the reasons why I landed her was because I, I you know, she saw that I had a one bedroom apartment in in a in, in Brooklyn Heights, and um, uh, you know, I often think uh, had we said maybe had we like moved away before the pandemic, uh, you know, we would be you know in our house in the suburbs. Like looking back and just like longing for New York, like missing it really badly. But the fact that we lived through it, you know, lived through the pandemic there uh, and lived through, you know, sort of the, you know, the changes in the city, uh, more of a cultural thing, I think more more than anything. Uh, it was sort of like, well, you know, like I said before, it's like we, we kind of lost a loved one. And we sure. were like, okay, this is really the time for us to be out of here. Sure. Like, how, you know, like we, um, I, you know, I really hope, that the city comes back. Uh, my family, uh, my family's there. We still have a family business there and, you know, and that sort of thing. It's just, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of doing the math. And I was like, you know what the, I say it takes five years. Well, I'm going to be like 45 and those five years are going to be a struggle for me to be in the city, uh, to be dealing with all this stuff. And um, yeah, so I am, I am where I am now. You know what? What people have to do, whatever works. I uh, you can't knock it. That's right. I I absolutely. I don't know if you know that if you know this, but on your shelf uh, there is a a license plate. For those of you who can't see it, it says "Ass Man" on there. That's true. And I did not know that about you, Frank. I did not know about you in college. Well, that's from. uh, It has nothing to do with my ability to get girls. That was when I was uh, studying to be a uh, proctologist. Actually, Uh, no. Uh, I am I am a Seinfeld fan and uh, a listener. You know, I do talk about Seinfeld on the radio, and a listener sent me that uh, novelty license plate from that uh, from that episode where Kramer ends up with that vanity plate on uh, on his car. So uh, it's got a uh, it's got a, a a place of honor on my bookshelf. Nice, nice. Oh, and uh, I, I forgot to tell you, um, but um, uh, the last episode I had on our old teacher Barry Goldsmith. 
I had him on the the show. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I have to, I I haven't seen it yet. I'll have to check that out. I was with Barry on, uh, on Friday and, uh, for better or worse, he seems exactly as he was when we, uh, when we studied under him 17 years ago, the exact same guy. Yes. He he does not change at all. He kind of looked like, um, I, 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 it, 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 uh, it was at the end of the of the episode where I was like, "Oh man, he kind of looks like Fran Lebowitz a little bit. Like he looks like like he could be Fran Lebowitz's like uh, you know sort of guy version." Uh, I could see a, that. I could certainly a, see that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was a nice trip down memory lane again to uh, to uh, to talk to to Barry. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, well, well, the last time that I I think spoke to you, I think it was in in a in a in an official capacity uh, you were uh, co-hosting a show with Joe Piscopo. Um, and I was a guest on it promoting like a, 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 a mini documentary like a few years ago. Uh, no, I remember that you were terrific. That was gr- That was a, a great appearance and it was good to see you again. And uh, I'm glad to see you're, you know, doing so well and still keeping so busy with all this stuff. I, ap- I appreciate that. Um, wh- you know, well, I remember being on on the uh, on the show with you in in, in Piscopo, and it was, it's just one of these things, man, where it's sort of like there are these figures that I grow up with, and they only exist in this little box of a TV. I don't yeah. even really watch. I don't really have the TV, and now everyone exists in the in the computer, and it just blows my mind when I'm able to actually you know communicate with them. And then with with the case of Joe Piscopo, like sit right next to him. That was just. Uh, that was pretty unreal. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It was. I had a similar feeling working with him for uh, six and a half or seven years. And uh, you're right. I mean, he is somebody that you always picture as being mechanically reproduced, coming to you through a, uh, a a television screen or a movie screen or a radio or whatever the case may be. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was a real treat to to work with him for for so long and uh, and and see his whole shtick up close and personal. Yeah, he's um well he's a really interesting guy because I mean he's a comedy legend and he came up at a time where unfortunately it was weird for a funny man to be built like to work out to be like a body and and he appeared in like a number of like bodybuilding uh magazines and it's like damn you know if he had just waited if he had just waited 20 years oh well, that would have been freaking crazy. Um it's like <laughs> That is, it's so acceptable now for like to be a funny man and to be a, you know, the type of guy who looks like you, you know, you're athletic and and all that. You don't have to be, you know, sort of that, that prototypical, uh, you know, uh, schlubby comedian or, or something like that. Right. Look at a guy like Carrot Top. He's in, uh, from what I understand, in great shape, very muscular. But I, you know, I think a, a, a little, I think there was probably more made by the the public about Joe's becoming such a, you know, such a bodybuilder and the effect that it had on his career. I'm not sure, you know, the the fact that Joe didn't achieve a level of um, superstardom comparable to a guy like Eddie Murphy or Martin Short, I think has less to do with the fact that uh, he became super muscular and more to do with some of the other decisions that he made uh, over the years because he had different priorities in life. You know, if you read the um, 
or, or see the behind the scenes featurette on Back to the Future. He apparently turned down the uh, role of Doc Brown in Back to the Future. Now, I've asked Joe about that. He says he doesn't remember that, but there are enough published uh, sources saying that. And I asked Joe, he said, ah, it was probably true. I turned down everything in those days. Uh, he's uh, a father of five, and he made the decision a long time ago that uh, that, that was going to be his primary priority and uh you know you can't begrudge him for that yeah yeah i I think there was a similar thing that happened with uh with rick moranis i I believe his his wife passed away and he uh retired from acting to you know to to raise his kids yeah i mean uh, similar with um charles groden i mean groden came back after his uh after he raised his son but yeah he he was able to step away for a number of years to to raise his son and um you know, you look, you can't knock it. If you can afford to do it, God bless you. Yeah. So, uh, so you're on a podcast right now, my podcast, uh, but you do in, uh, you do radio, right? Now, right. How, Which is how, also how, available in, in podcast form. If anyone ever wants to listen to it, they can, uh, search for the other side of midnight on iTunes or, or Castbox or Spotify or whatever podcast platform people listen to stuff on these days. Yeah. It has, um, have you noticed like uh, a big change with a uh, you know podcast uh, you know versus radio? Is it is it a war? Is it a, a war? No, um, I, I wouldn't say so at all. I mean, I think there's the lines between podcast and radio show have sort of become blurred in many respects, especially now that you're seeing more and more podcasts being. Um, podcast or or I was going to say broadcast live uh, really because you can get our show or, and all the shows on our station, not only on the radio, but you could get them uh, via live streaming audio at wabcradio.com or through the 77 WABC app. And then if you don't want to be up at one, two, three o'clock in the morning, you can also just wait and listen to the podcast and subscribe just like any other podcast. So I, I think in some ways, you're actually seeing radio shows behave more like podcasts that happen to be broadcast on the radio. Uh, now, I, I think there's still a market for people, uh, and I hear from them every day in terms of callers, who are scanning through the channels looking for something interesting, and then they stumble upon and discover your show unsolicited. That's not something that generally happens with podcasts. Usually you mm-hmm. go and search for a podcast for something that you're interested in, or a podcast is shared by uh, by somebody that you whose tastes or opinions that you trust. And there's not usually that level of random discovering of something. Although sometimes I hear with Spotify and uh, other podcast apps, it does recommend certain podcasts that you might enjoy based on your interest. So I guess maybe there is a little element of that. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're on from one to five in the morning and I don't remember the last time I (laughs) was, was willingly awake between one and five. Like if I'm up between one and five, it's either, uh, you know, to, to tend to my kids or I'm just worrying about my future and, or have like a, I've, I've been having some really crazy, like vivid, nightmares that oh, have boy. Just been, you know keeping me up right. yeah yeah um how do you do it man <laughs> how do you do uh, how do you do one uh, to five 
Well, look, at the end of the day, I'm not digging ditches or doing brain surgery. So uh, the worst that can happen is I'm not as well-rested as I should be and maybe not as quick-witted as I wish I were on the air. But uh, I really enjoy it. I I love the overnight radio audience. I love being at the radio station at a time when there are fewer people there that try to engage you in small talk or try to give you notes on what you're doing on the radio and fewer meetings with management. Uh, I love all that. I love, uh, you know, being able to drive to work and get a parking spot right in front of the radio station. I I feel like there's a fraternity with me and everybody else that's awake at that time, either because they're working or because they're coming home from work or driving to work or because they can't sleep. Those of us that are up in the middle of the night or the middle of the morning, uh, it really is, uh, it really is special. And I feel a a kinship with them. I I really like it. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Now, that being said, the asterisk comes with, it is a little different now uh, having a child because I these days I generally get home around six thirty, so I, I will look after our son uh, for you know for two two hours or so, in, so that my wife can try and get a couple of hours of sleep, and then um, and then we have a, a babysitter that comes from nine to one, so I, I try and get up shortly after one so that I could stay with him again while my wife works from home. So that has added an, an extra element of challenge because a lot of times I would use that time during the day to either sleep or to work on the next day's show. So now it does seem every day I'm sort of clamoring, searching for extra minutes that I can work on the show. But uh, you just you make it work. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. And um, I, I think we're putting out a, a very good product. And um, it could be very rewarding. So I think uh, I, th- I really, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the um, you know, sort of that that fan base who is you know who's up at that uh, at those hours because um, you know like what are you know like if you were to describe you know sort of like the the fans that are that are up then um, you know how would you de- describe them? You know, I I don't know these days. There are so many people listening from all different walks of life that I don't know that I could cast a wide net in terms of ascribing a profile to them. You have your truckers, a lot of truckers, a lot of Uber drivers and taxi drivers. You have people that um, work in restaurants and are driving home late at night. People that uh, are working jobs like security that listen while they're at work. Uh, people that are um, you know that have bread delivery routes and things of that nature, but you have more and more people that are, um, that are home listening and setting their alarms to listen so that they can listen live, uh, either because they're retired or they don't want to, they don't want to miss the show now I've noticed we're getting more and more international listeners. Uh, just mm. this week, I got a, a nice letter, a nice email from uh, somebody listening in Spain who listens at a much more civilized time. Cause I think they're oh, five, five hours, six hours ahead. Yeah. And, uh, and <laughs> Another woman commented on her, uh, we have some West Coast listeners. Uh, it's a lot earlier for them. Some European listeners, it's a lot later for them. So I, I think uh, people listen from all over the place, all walks of life. I forget. Uh, there's a um, uh, th- this app or something called, I think, like Chartable with, uh, with podcasts. Mm-hmm. And um, I-, I guess to get me to join, they sent me like an email saying that I was uh, – um, I was listed, I think in, it might've been Cambodia. So I was like, so I think I broke like the number, you know, the, the, the top 200 
uh, English comedy, uh, you know, podcast in Cambodia. So I'm not the least bit surprised by that. It's all those Pol Pot jokes you've been making over the years that I can see resonating well with the Cambodian. Big and, hello to everybody listening in Cambodia. Yeah, and and you know, and I and my Pol Pot jokes come from a good place because I respect the man. I respect. Exactly. I respect what he was trying to do. I mean, the idea that you would allow, you know, teachers or people with eyeglasses to just be walking around your country. No way. No way. Out to the no field. No doubt get about up, it. Get out. Yeah. What a, what a reference. What a Pol Pot reference. Do, do enough people know? Yeah, I, I don't think anybody really knows about that. I guarantee you the uh, the Cambodian listeners are listening either in hysterics or in horror right now. So, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> which uh, you know, which uh, I'll take it. You know, I'll take the um, uh, the the attention there for sure. Um, you know, with your um, you know, with your show, is there? Do you have any anything you're excited about uh, coming up? Or, or are you going to be on? I guess uh, technically tonight. tomorrow morning. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, right, tonight, tomorrow morning, whatever, however people characterize it. Uh, I have to look at my uh, my notes to see what's uh, what's upcoming. You know, I, I really I get excited by trying to do something uh, different each and every day. Uh, I try and find the kind of subjects on the radio that no one else is doing, or if they are the subjects that everyone else is doing uh, the russia ukraine war comes to mm. comes to mind then i try to find different angles and different perspectives that people don't have like uh, i um i recently had on a gentleman named tim kirby who's a russian um who, who lives in russia is as pro-Putin as can be, but was born and raised in the United States, still an American citizen, lives in Russia, does a YouTube show out there, plays football for a Russian football team, and is the most pro-Putin person in the world. He sounds more American in terms of his accenting than 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 you and I do. So um, that is somebody, that's a perspective that you don't usually hear. Not only right. a pro-Russian perspective, but a pro-Russian perspective from actual Russia and from an American and from an American who's living in Russia. So uh, that always engenders an interesting response. So I always try to pull, you know, pull, uh, do the opposite of whatever everybody else is, is doing. So, um, you know, for instance, a lot of people love just focusing on, uh, you know, the same three or four subjects that happen to be in the news uh, right. coming up tomorrow morning, you know, we're doing 20 minutes on whether or not America should shift to, proportional representation that's uh, not something that you usually hear about in talk radio uh we're doing i have a guest on tomorrow morning talking about the um the shroud of turin is it real is it a hoax uh what is the next step in investigating the the shroud of turin uh that that's the sort of thing that uh that i, I really enjoy doing that uh, you don't always you don't always get to hear much of on uh on the radio so um I, you know we're gonna talk uh disney as well given everything that disney's going through i have a, a disney youtuber on so i, I don't know that there are many other radio shows where you can talk about, uh, you know, proportional representation, Disney and the cloud of Shro uh, the shroud of Turin all within 40 minutes of one another. Uh, and, uh, so that's, that's the thing that I really get excited about is trying to do things that no one else is doing. No, that sounds, that sounds great. I, I think, uh, I think one of the issues and like you, like you brought up is, you know, when there's like, uh, when there's like three topics that everybody is talking about there, there's also, you know, sort of this, um, it, it feels like this energy where you have to have, uh, an opinion about these three topics. Even if you don't know right. really anything about it, you must be a, take a side. You must do that where I th right. feel like, yeah, I feel like, um, 
right. you know, seeking if, if, out other things. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have an opinion about um, Will Smith slapping Vladimir Putin because they're both upset about inflation, then forget about it. You better find another career. Yeah. Though that that that, that uh, American in Russia that sounds interesting. How'd you find him, or did he uh, did he find you? I no, I don't remember how I found him. You know, you go. I don't know if this is how it is when um, when you talk to folks um, or when you do research on different subjects. But in my case, I end up going down this this rabbit hole of uh, all right. You know, this person was interesting. Uh, let me look up this person's Twitter uh, profile, see what they're tweeting about, see what they're writing about, see who some of the other people that they follow is, and you kind of just get down a rabbit hole of oh, this this person person's interesting that leads to an interesting person this leads to an interesting person so you know i always just try to go and now that i've developed sort of a reputation as an iconoclast and uh, somebody that likes these offbeat subjects and offbeat topics now they are coming to me a bit more yeah that's great when i uh yeah actually I'm, I'm, i get pretty flattered when people reach out to me and say hey i'm an author or uh, or i'm a professor you know i'd love to you know come on your podcast there's there's a, you know, I'm always like, oh my God, they heard me. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, and then uh, it, it's, it's funny, like trying to do the vetting a little bit beforehand because, you know, you have to be a little, you have to be a little careful, you know, you, that's for sure. Talk, you bring that's it to your sure. home uh, and, uh, and, and talk to, yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's wild. Well, I think the, you know, um, the iconoclastic uh, nature is something that, um Oh, that doesn't really go out of style. I don't think the willingness to being able to, you know, risk a little bit, you know, by uh, either bringing people on or. I agree. I mean, if you look at um, podcasts or streaming platforms or whatever, other than conventional television and radio that seems to be doing well, it's people that don't fit a conventional cookie cutter narrative. Uh, people like uh, Joe Rogan, uh, Glenn Greenwald, uh, Michael Tracy, uh, uh, a number of others. And um, meanwhile, if you look at, you know, more establishment conventional media sources that try to branch out and get people to pay for something that uh, they're getting for free and don't really like that much when it's free. CNN plus comes most immediately to mind. Mm -hmm. You see, those don't really seem to be uh, doing too well. So uh, I think there's uh, a lot of room for thinking outside the box. And that's one of the things that, that I think new media has, has given people the, the opportunity for, which might not have been there 30 or 40 years ago, or at least in very limited form. You did have public access television or, public access cable television, which provided an outlet for unconventional, unconventional views and personalities. You had, um, you know, non-commercial radio outlets like WBAI here in New York, but by and large, it was very difficult unless you were doing things the way everybody else was doing them to find a place, to find a platform. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree um, with that. And I think it's a similar thing with, with comedy too. It's, you know, if you go back uh, 30 or 40 years, there was sort of this was the track that you'd had to, you would have to be on if you wanted to make it in comedy, you know, uh, uh, if you wanted, you know, if, if you wanted to, you know, do stand up and just do the clubs. Okay. You could do that. But then it became do stand up, get that deal to do a sitcom, maybe do movies and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Where now right. um, it's, it's so open, you know, as far as, you know, uh, being able to, you know, take all these different, uh, you know, these different uh, routes to, you know, to get where, you know, who knows, you know, where it'll take you with them. Um, 
with uh, with uh, with Twitter, there was something interesting I, I saw happening today. Uh, there were quite a number of blue checks on Twitter who were complaining about losing followers today. Uh, and this, you know, obviously this comes after the uh, um, uh, Elon Musk uh, purchase of uh, of Twitter. And so apparently a lot of blue checks were losing followers, but then people like Tucker Carlson were apparently gaining like an insane amount of followers. Um so I don't know what to, you know, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, although I did notice that, at least for me today, it was like the first day where where I didn't lose like twenty followers. Now, I'm not oh, really. I'm not, I'm not big time, but what I would notice is uh, something would, you know, something of mine would hit, and I'd, I'd get a bunch of followers, and then the next day it would just keep going, you know, slowly trickling down, 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 down. Whereas for the past like two days, it's it's sort of st- uh, stayed steady. So, you know, I haven't noticed in my own case, I, I think my uh, follower count remains fairly steady, but I, I'm, I ha- honestly, I don't pay close enough attention mm-hmm. to, I, I mean, I have such a comparatively uh, small amount of fl- followers that I, I don't know that, uh, that it matters if, uh, if I gain 20 or lose 20 in the, in the grand scheme of things, but it's certainly going to be interesting. This whole Elon Musk era, a lot of people have very high hopes for him and mm. for this new era of Twitter. And, uh, I think, um, you know, uh, eventually once he's in operational control, he's going to ma- do all sorts of things, make all sorts of decisions that upset everybody. So yeah. uh, this is sort of his honeymoon phase. He's got nowhere to go, but town. Yeah. 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 And, uh, uh for me, uh, you know, uh, I'm always more, it's like, I'm always more interested in the responses to policy or, or responses to changes than the actual policy or changes themselves. Like it, it is, uh, you know, uh, it, it, I think it's more fun to just see like, you know, the human psychology at, at work and how people interpret what's, uh, what's going on. Like, I mean, the, the, you know, to, to look on, to look online, to look on Twitter and to have people equate, free speech with white supremacy and with it, which is insane in so many levels, especially if anyone knows anything about the civil rights movement and how important free speech was for that and how important free speech is for uh, marginalized groups, for minorities, for, uh, you know, uh, throughout, uh, throughout history. Uh, it, it seems like, uh, like, man, you, you guys are really just uh, throwing this hail Mary out there. Uh, because a, a big change is coming that you don't want to that you don't want to see. So you need to like paint it any terrible way that you can. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. I think you're you're exactly right. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, there obviously there has to be lines drawn. The question is, where do you draw the line? Do you draw the line at uh, people advocating for uh, sex between seventy um, year olds and seven year olds? Do you advocate? You know, do you draw the line at uh, Holocaust denial? Do you draw the line at vaccine denial? Do you draw the line at uh, the uh, COVID lab leak theory? Do you draw the line at uh, saying uh, Russian? athletes shouldn't be banned from the Boston Marathon? Do you draw the line that uh, the 2020 election wasn't really fair? Uh, I don't know where you draw the line. And the tricky thing is, is being the person that has to decide that, you know, on my, um, uh, you know, on my radio program, you know, I set up a Facebook group intending to be just a forum for 
people who listen to the show to talk about the show because some people really like the show and they want to do more to engage with it after the four hours that it's on. So I set up this Facebook group and my intention was to just let people say whatever they wanted. And very quickly, it became clear that uh, I could not do that because Mm -hmm. you had a whole bunch of users deluging everybody with spam promoting this this uh, product, that business, then a whole bunch of people de- uh, deluging people with uh, political spam, advocating mm. for or against this candidate or that candidate or this cause or that cause, stuff that had nothing to do with topics we were covering on the radio show. Then, of course, you had a whole bunch of people that wanted to just uh, throw vicious insults at others, and then uh, people that wanted to bring up conversational topics that had nothing to do with the show. So all of a sudden, even in my tiny little Facebook group of 25 25- 500 people, I'm in the same position that Twitter is. Now, I can't imagine having to make those decisions when you have 100 million people creating tens of thousands of tweets every minute. Uh, so I, I don't, I'm not trying to say that it's easy uh, to draw the distinctions about where those lines should be drawn. But when you think, see things that are so egregious, like um, not allowing the editor of the New York Post to post an article um, which has now been confirmed as authentic related to something um, regarding Hunter Biden, for instance, that seems to me a pretty egregious abridging of of people's, I don't want to say right, because you have no right to tweet, um, but of of people, of, it seems to me a pretty egregious example of, of corporate censorship that in a platform like Twitter, which everyone intended to be a facilitator of speech, it really seems against a lot of the 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 reasons people joined and the founding principles. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I, um, I, I definitely hear what, what you're saying, uh, you know, when, when it comes to that and, you know, I, I think that's probably, you know, one of the reasons why I'm probably so, so against censors in, in one respect, because it, it's like, I don't trust anybody uh, to censor. Um, sure. And when, when it comes to these, you know, to these platforms, I, you know, I, you know, you hear people talking about, you know, misinformation and disinformation and, and all this. And I was just, I'm just thinking like, but you're all adults. Like I'm an adult. Right. I, I am, I am able to, to look at what you put in front of me and, you know, tr- figure out if it's bullshit or look for help, you know, as far as, uh, you know, figuring out where th- there's such a, I don't know. It's, it's like a, I don't know if it's like a coddling uh, thing, but, but, you know, just this idea, like, I don't trust anybody, you know, to do that vetting for me. And uh, I mean, fortunately, I have to say that, you know, my, my time on, on Twitter and online in general, like I I've had to deal with, you know, some awful people, you know, here and there. Um, but I had the ability to block them, yeah, which was great. Right. Or, like or just, I blocked them and they're gone. And they're gone. I, I always love the mute option where people don't really know that they're, you're not, they're not, you're not seeing their tweets. And I picture these, these cranks screaming out there into the Twitter verse, thinking that I'm on the receiving end of all these tweets and I'm not seeing any of them. I always like that mute option from a personal perspective, but, but you're right. You know, um, uh, Alan Dershowitz is very pro uh, vaccine, very pro vaccine mandate, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Very anti vaccine Mm -hmm. mandate and all that stuff. The two of them had a debate and YouTube wouldn't even let them post the debate on YouTube because it said it carried vaccine misinformation. Now think of how, 
crazy that is where you right. have the situation where it's essentially equal time from two, whatever you think about either of them, two very articulate advocates for their cause debating, giving their perspective on events and giving their version of the facts and letting people draw their own conclusions. And YouTube said, no, we don't want that. Now that's pretty frightening. Now a couple of, uh, you know, a month or two ago I had on Roger Stone and he mentions the idea of, um, of uh, v voter fraud or something along those lines. I don't even know what it was. Uh, now, I challenged him uh, in the interview on the things that, that we were saying. Now, at the time, our show was being live streamed on YouTube. YouTube, as a result of that interview, they suspended our radio station's YouTube page. Now, think of how crazy that is. You can't even have a discussion about some, um, you know, some issues. I mean, it was not, I was not sitting there saying everything Roger says is accurate, just the opposite. If you listen to the interview and yet YouTube decided that was against their guidelines. The point is like, I understand the need for things like, um, preventing, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if someone wants to live stream a murder or a suicide and you can't mm -hmm. broadcast it on YouTube. I get it. I understand that. I just, uh, I, my problem is when, we don't know where the restrictions are and it seems incredibly subjective that I have, uh, that I have an issue with. Yeah. Well, I, uh, no, I didn't know that, that, uh, that happened. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it, it, I, and it, I don't think it does. Um, I think it does a disservice to people who say, for example, you know, disagree with Roger Stone, uh, because, uh, what it ends up, you know, uh, looking like is is as if there is a, a literal conspiracy to shut up you know his side of the of the debate and to keep him uh you know to keep him down um and uh yeah i mean that just doesn't it's not a good look it's uh agree yeah agree and, and and i gotta say you know from a you know you know being a little uh, a little selfish i happen to enjoy messing with people with whom i disagree sure uh you know like I'm I'm actually calling for Twitter to bring back to bring back uh, Brother Louis Farrakhan. <laughs> I uh, saw that. I saw that you had tweeted that. That was very funny. Uh, yeah. we'll I, uh, I I I may steal that from you on the radio tonight. That was uh, do, do that it. was very yeah, funny. Please. Yeah, please. I have to see if I can flesh it out and get like another three or four minutes out of my own commentary. And um, uh, otherwise, <laughs> maybe maybe when I have you on the radio, I'll uh, I'll have you make the case. But I thought that was very funny. I chuckled out loud. Well, th thank you, Frank. And, and um, I, I want to thank you uh, for coming on. Uh, I know you got a, a show tonight. And uh, yeah, uh, this has been fun, man. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, talking to you some more. And uh, so everybody, uh, everybody knows, go to uh, WABC, The Other Side of Midnight. Frank Morano. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you, Lou. It's great to be here. And uh, again, if people want to catch up on the podcast, if they're ever not awake from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m., there's links to the podcast as well as all my social media at uh, moranovision.com. That's M-O-R-A-N-O-Vision.com. I hope you'll come on with me soon. And I know it's a tough hour, especially for a father of two, uh, but uh, hopefully you can, uh, yeah, I don't know, drink some extra, extra bottles of Jolt and, uh, and join me. Uh, no, it's, it, would be, uh, it would be well worth it. It sounds like fun. It sounds like a party. Thank you so much for listening. And again, please order my book, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, on the death and rebirth of comedy. Just follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. And please subscribe to my podcast. Leave a five-star review. Why not? Sign up for my newsletter at theluperez.com. And if you want other ways to support my work, you can join theluperez.locals.com. And of course, be sure to support my sponsors. 
PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Use promo code Lou for 25% off purchases over $75 and Black Organic Cold Brew. B-L-V-C-K-B-R-E-W.com. Use promo code Lou for free shipping. Thank you.